0: Please turn your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 6, and uh, we're going to be reading its entirety. So when you get there, please rise as we're reading God's Word. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom, satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became... Distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could not find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king, Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdoms, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and a force, an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, should be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king established the injunction and signed the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the documents and injunction. Then Daniel knew that the document has been signed. He went to his house where he had, a, he had windows in his, in his upper chambers open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks for his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petitions and plead before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within their days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes this petition three times a day. Then the king, king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, King, I mean, know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continue, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, and the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king, who went to his palace and spent the night fasting, none diversions the were brought uh, to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went to haste to the den of lions, and he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you could serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they had not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. Then Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. And the king commanded commanded and those men who maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces." Then King Darius wrote to all, people, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I made a decree that in my royal dominion, people are not to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues his works, signs, and wonders in heavens and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This was a reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, we thank you for
1: this day, for being able to gather to worship you and to find rest for our souls. We ask, Lord, that you would open our ears, open our eyes, and soften our hearts to grasp the things that you have set aside for your holy people. We ask that you would show us Christ, that you would soften our hearts And trust, so that we may repent of our sins, be led to deeper faith, and desire joyfully to draw near to you in prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We finish our sermon series, we started all the way in the summer, and for some of us maybe this felt too long, and for some maybe this happened quickly. We wrap up here in chapter 6 in the book of Daniel, and we come to a story that many of us probably know very well. And the difficulty of passages like this is sometimes the familiarity of it kind of have make us glance over it, or maybe just kind of sit and say, yeah, yeah, like, okay, oh, I remember that, without really learning from it in a fresh way. And so I want to remind us that as we look at chapter 6, we look at Daniel, and he is around 70 years old, 70 years old. And through... All the, the years as he's serving in Babylon, through all the tests and trials, we see something very similar here to the story of Daniel and the lion's den. In fact, we see a lot of parallels in the chapters before. And, it's, and to some degree, it seems like Daniel is learning or is going through very similar temptations and very similar trials. But I think it's important to note that even though he's 70 years old, The Lord continues and in his graciousness allows him to go through similar trials so that he may learn the same things afresh. So that he can learn to hold on to these truths through the regular, mundane, exciting, desperate, peaceful times of life. And that's my hope today, that even though we may be very familiar with the stories, even though we may be very familiar with the truth of God that says that He is with us, that His promises will endure, that He will save us, that He will bring a kingdom that will last forever, that He will come and wipe away every tear, that by the Holy Spirit, He would plant those truths in such a way that we will personally be nourished and found in rest by it. So today as we look at chapter 6 and as we wrap up our series, we're just going to look at three simple parts. We're going to look at the plot, the prayer, and the praise. The plot, the prayer, and the praise. So first, the plot. We see here from the story that King Darius, or Darius set up 120 satraps. Now satraps were rulers of Babylon according to providences. So there's 120 of them. And above them, King Darius set up three more high officials. And of the three, we're told that Daniel was one of them. But we're also told, right, with no surprise, that because Daniel has such an exceeding spirit that he is so faithful that even this new king, Darius, saw in Daniel something he didn't in everyone else. And so his desire was to promote him, perhaps to even prime minister, to set him above all of Babylon. And so all the other high officials and all the other satraps hear and learn, it's very obvious that the king favors Daniel, and Daniel is about to shine again, so they plot against him. And you can imagine all throughout the days these people are spying, following, looking, lurking, lurching at Daniel to try to catch him in a moment where they can say, "Hey, King Darius, look. Daniel was actually not as faithful as you think. Look what he's doing. Or look what he did." But we're told that as they followed him and as they tried to figure something out that they couldn't find anything to charge him with. They, they, in fact, they say that he is faithful. And I love how they just leave it at that. They say he's faithful. He's faithful in two ways. He's faithful to the kingdom of Babylon, to the king. But not only that, he is faithful to the God whom he believes in and serves. No matter how hard these people plotted and tried, the only thing they could come back with is this is just a faithful guy. We can't find anything wrong with him. And I think that's such an encouragement because Daniel in his old age, Daniel, as he's experienced all these things, as he's accomplished and received so much glory and honor and praise and, and, and position, he is not corrupt, he's not self-seeking, he's not cynical, but he remains faithful. So here we, we, see, it, we see something really encouraging, don't we? Because in the beginning of the series when we talked about the book of Daniel, we said that our our hope and the lens we're going in with is the question that is it it possible for a Christian to live faithfully in between two worlds? Meaning in this life that we're living in now and in light of the eternal kingdom to come as faithful Christians. Is it possible with all the things that are happening politically, all the things that are happening in, in our sufferings, is it possible... To really be faithful? And the answer is yes. We see Daniel here. And let me remind us that Daniel wasn't some special, particular, empowered person. But Daniel was just a faithful man through whom which God worked all his glorious acts. So is it faithful, friends, to live faithfully here and now? As we go to work, as we go to school, as we raise our children, is it possible in the busyness, when we're just just inundated with worries and angst, is it possible for us to live faithfully? The answer is yes. Look at Daniel. Not what he has done, but what God has done in his life. At the age of 70, I think he's older than most of us here then, 70. God has kept him faithful. So friends, be encouraged. No matter what you're struggling with, No matter how heavy the the guilt and shame of your sin may be, no matter how discouraged you may be because you feel like you're not growing in your life, be encouraged that the Lord keeps us faithful. The Lord sustains us. And we see this even in the life of Daniel. So yes, it's possible. Moving on into the plot. So because they can't find anything wrong with Daniel, they realize this. They say the only way to get him is if we devise some kind of tension between his Two allegiances. we got to make a wedge between his service to the kingdom and his service to God. And if we do that, then we can get him. So what do they do? They slither on to the king and say, Oh, magnificent, blessed, glorious King Darius. Oh, live forever. And they butter him up. They build him up. All the satraps and the high officials, we came together. And you know what? We came up with a great idea, King. And again, you see this repetition. You see how the kings are so easily conceived or easily uh, convinced that they are somehow the most magnificent and powerful, sovereign and authoritative power. And they say, King, why don't you make this decree that for 30 days, no one is allowed to pray to any other God except through you. They're saying, Oh, King, you are so powerful. You are magnificent. Why don't you... Unite everyone again. And for 30 days, we'll just make everyone pray through and go through only you to all the other gods. And King Darius, as every king fears disunity and desire for unity, says, sure, why not? That sounds like a great idea. And one thing I want to point out here is, if you look at Daniel 6-7, look with me here, this is what they say. He says, all the high officials of the kingdom, the the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And of course, the king, as he is buttered up, as he is praised and puffed up, as he's flattered, says, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And they say, sign here so that you can't change your mind. And he does so. And this is just a pause and, and for us to consider, you know, there is a difference between flattery and encouragement. And the reason I bring this up, because even, even within our circles, and perhaps even by the devil himself, there are moments of temptations, it's, we're so easily convinced by way of flattery, thinking that we are something that we're not, or perhaps more than we are. And here we see how flattery builds up, ultimately to tear down, but encouragement, though it may begin with tearing down, ultimately builds up. And so, brothers and sisters, even when you gather together, can I encourage you guys to encourage one another and not just flatter one another. Encourage one another with genuine encouragements of truth and reminders. It often comes in such subtle ways, doesn't it? in slithering ways, even in our own thoughts as we're tempted. And we should do certain things because you know what? We deserve it because we're great. Because through us, so much can happen in our workplace, in our churches, in our families. We should, we should put our foot down and, 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 and make these decrees. But friends, remember, those who walk in pride, the Lord is able to humble as we continue, we see as they're plotting, the king agrees. The document is signed. And then look at verse 10 with me. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Daniel knew very well what the situation was at hand when this document was signed, and what did he do? He continued in his faithfulness. He continued to go and pray on his knees three times a day with his window open facing Jerusalem. And so, of course, all the little underlings go, (laughs) report this to the king, and the king has no choice to cast Daniel into the lion's den. But he says something interesting here, if you look in verse 16 to 18, the, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, "May your God whom you serve continually deliver you." It continues it's not here, but follow along says, "And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of the lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. And so forth and so forth. And he comes back the next day. He says, Daniel, has the God whom you serve delivered you? And Daniel responds, O king, live forever. The God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Does this remind you of something? These sequences of events? We'll get there. We'll get there. So then we're told that Daniel was pulled out of the lion's den without any harm. And we're told that it's because he has trusted God, that he was blameless. Blameless before his enemies' accusations and blameless before God. You know, when we started this series, I, I told my boys, I said, hey, daddy's going to preach on Daniel. You guys know about Daniel? My oldest goes, Yeah, Daniel and the Lion. And I'm like, that's right. That's chapter six. That's gonna be the last one Daddy's gonna preach on. And so all throughout the summer, my, my son's like, Are you gonna preach on the lion's den, Dad? I'm like, no, not this week, not this week. And then finally this week we got to it. I said, Hey Timmy, I'm gonna need your help. Finally gonna preach on Daniel the Lion's Den. Come on, let's read it together and tell me what you think and ask questions and let's study it together. And so Uh, Unfortunately, I would like to say that's every week and every night with me and my boys because, you know, I'm a holy pastor and I'm raising my children, right? But uh, it's not. It's not. I don't want to give you false. Most evenings are are, are me uh, um, lovingly yelling, "Go go to sleep. No more questions. It's amazing. They're like, can I have a drink of water? I use the bathroom, can I have a hug, they get so, can I have a hug, they'll come back out of, I just want to give you a kiss, I'm like, ah, come on, and then the weirdest, the last card they pull sometimes, they're like, oh, I have to poop. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You went three times today. I already know it. Anyways, anyways, that's the reality. But this week, the Lord has blessed us, allowed us opportunities to to go through the Bible together, particularly this story. And and we read three different translations, right? I was running out of ideas. I didn't want to Google crafts or anything. We'll leave that to the Sunday school. But we read uh, a children's kind of ESV version of the Bible. And then we read two children's books. Uh, First was The God's Story for Me, which I I recommend also the Jesus Story Bible. And it's amazing how children's Bible have a way of really summarizing and getting to the main point. And perhaps some of you wish I've just read that uh, in three minutes rather than preaching for 30. But there you have it. Uh, it, it just points so simply. And it says that, that, that the main focus is not simply on Daniel, but how Daniel prayed, trusted God, and how this points to the ultimate hero who is Jesus and and one thing I realized that uh, was left out in the children's Bible, which perhaps I can write an email to the editors. The part where all of Daniel's enemies and their families get thrown into the lions' den, and then their their bones are broken immediately. Um, but perhaps that's too much for kids <laughs> to handle. And I know that's a gruesome thing, but but friends, our our Lord knows those who are against us, particularly uh, Satan and the enemies. And how the enemy tries to make us fall. So, what are we to get out of this plot, this story? I want to focus on two things: Daniel's prayer and Darius's praise. First, Daniel's prayer. Even in his old age, as he lived as an exile, serving the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God, he remained faithful. And so, if you want to know the secret, just Venmo me six hundred dollars right now, and I'll text it to you. Kid, okay? no, I'm just kidding. If you want to know the secret, do you want to know the secret? Turn into an Instagram guru. Have you ever wondered what the secret to faithfulness is? Right? Do you ever wonder how did how did, how did Daniel remain faithful seventy years as an exile? It's so simple. He, he was a man of prayer. He trusted God. He trusted God. What's an what's the ultimate sign that we trust God? Prayer. So I I I, I started to ask myself this. I'm like, hey, Walt, do you really trust God? Well, yeah, of course I trust him. How's your prayer life then? I thought, man, I wish it was better. <laughs> I wish it was better. How do we know if we really trust God? We know because we pray to him often. Because prayer is not just a discipline. It's not just something we, we do, but it's, it's, it's an expression of our trust. Prayer is the way we go to God often and, and with humility and Daniel's life is marked with prayer. Friends, do you trust God? Another way to ask that question. Friends, do you go to him in prayer? Sinclair Ferguson points out three things about Daniel's prayer life here, and I just want to draw our attention to those things very quickly. Uh, first, Daniel knelt and faced Jerusalem. Why did Daniel do this? Should we do this? Is that, uh, what does it mean? Where's, I don't know, I don't have a compass, but where's Jerusalem? Should we be facing that direction as we pray? What was Daniel doing? Well, Daniel wasn't worshipping Jerusalem itself, but what Jerusalem represented. As an exile who lived his, almost his whole adult life in Babylon, he looked to Jerusalem. He knelt, not to Jerusalem, but towards Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is pointing to the reality of God's kingdom that will be everlasting. For him to be able to look and kneel and go towards Jerusalem, what he's doing is he is positioning and submitting his prayers and his hopes to that reality where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That there will be an everlasting kingdom where I will come and wipe away every tear. That this life here is not forever. That I am the one that raises up kings and brings them down raises up nations and topples them down. As he points to Jerusalem and kneels, he's submitting to the promises of God. As Daniel kneels and prays facing Jerusalem, he's submitting and hoping in God. As he looks to Jerusalem, he's not just longing to see his home reestablished and built up and then to come and take over Babylon. As he kneels and faces Jerusalem, he is facing and reminding himself and falling at the feet of God and his word and his promises. Daniel is 70 years old. Some of you guys are half that age or close, and you can imagine the pain in your knees, your hips, your back. Yet in his old age, He submits with all hope and he kneels and faces Jerusalem praying three times a day. I think that speaks to and instructs us in some ways in how we ought to pray. No, we don't have to pray to a certain direction or to a certain building. But when we go to God in prayer, it's a a submission of hope as we go to him, holding on to his promises. As we go to him, looking at Christ, the cross, his word, his promises, one another, the kingdom that is to come. And we look at these eternal promises of God as we kneel down and submit with hopefulness and pray. The second thing Sinclair Ferguson points out is that Daniel's prayer life was disciplined and regular. We're told that he prayed three times a day. I remember thinking to myself, great, so do I, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, baby. (laughs) And some of us are like, yes, I got it. I pray three times a day. And you know what, I know I make light of it, and some of us are embarrassed to say, yeah, I only pray during my meals. But, you know, I do want to pause there. As, As humorous as it may be, it doesn't have to be an embarrassing light thing. If you pray three times a day, at least at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Praise the Lord. Just have those times be genuine and authentic, and just just spend, even if it's a few moments with the Lord before you eat in thanksgiving, bowing towards His promises. Like God, something I gotta tell myself is, I know this food will fill my stomach, but I need you to fill my soul. I, I'm an emotional eater, so I find that I gotta ask the Lord to fill me in more ways than just just this food. To brothers and sisters, just a quick encouragement if. if if you at least pray three times a day during your meals, praise the Lord. And if you don't, maybe, maybe that's a nice little uh, structure to, to follow. But we're told that Daniel prays with discipline and regularity. And if he didn't... His enemies wouldn't even been able to plot against him. If, if, if prayer in his life was simply just sporadic, something he did when something happened or, or something terrible went on, then they would have no idea that, you know what, this is where we can pin him. But he was so faithful, he was so disciplined and regular to the point where his ad, adversaries saw him and said, you know what, that's where we can get him. Look at him. Every single day, three times a day, this guy goes and prays every day without fail. This is where we'll get him. And we see that Daniel's prayer life is indeed disciplined, and it's regular. As soon as that was signed by the king, Daniel, it wasn't as if Daniel went on and and started a social movement. Oh, the government is persecuting us. The government is doing this. we got to pray now and start a prayer movement, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But we see Daniel in response. He just goes, well, it's time to pray. Almost as if nothing changed for him, it's time to go pray to the Lord. It's time to go be reminded of of what God's promises are, even in light of this. And we see a disciplined regularity in the prayer life of this believer, even in the face of a shocking event, knowing full well that if he remains on schedule, remains disciplined and regular in prayer, that he'd be thrown into the den of lions. But he goes. He continues in faithfulness. Now there's something to be uh, said about a spontaneous prayer and joining in prayer together when a specific event happens. And we should do that. when We hear things on the news when something in our lives happens. We should spontaneously gather in prayer. But I think foundationally, there ought to be a regular and disciplined practice of prayer. Why? Because prayer is ultimately how we grow in trust with God. I don't have it quoted, but this is what Sinclair Ferguson says here. There can never be spontaneity in any sphere without discipline. What seems so free and spontaneous in a musician's performance or an athlete's brilliance is always the fruit of hours, days, months, and years of regular discipline and practice. Discipline and regularity are vital keys to success. That is no less true of the spiritual life. It is certainly true of prayer. Contrary to what so many people mistakenly assume, it is a fundamental mistake to pray only when one feels like it. Instead, the regular habit of prayer underlies spontaneous overflows of prayer. So friends, If you want to grow in your prayer life, in your trust in God, and even when you are not feeling it, discipline yourselves in knowing that when we do, the Lord is so good to meet us. When we draw near to him, he draws near to us. The last thing, Daniel's prayers were filled with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I imagine as he went back to his room, knowing that the king has signed this new junction, knowing that full well, after he's done praying, he's probably going to get thrown into the lion's den. I would imagine Daniel going and saying, Lord, strike down my enemies, those who plot against me. Will you bring justice and righteousness? Will you vindicate me? Which which would have been fine, and we see the psalmist do that often. But we're told that he goes to his room, and with a heart filled with thanksgiving, he prays to God. And I think in our Christian culture, we've gotten good at trying to pray authentically like the psalmist with our emotions and our feelings and in some ways receiving counsel and therapy through the Spirit in our prayer, and that's great. I think one thing we probably often lack, and I know I do in our prayer, is a genuine heart of thanksgiving, a prayer that's saturated and and, and centered around thanksgiving. the Bible often puts thanksgiving as, as, as the heart posture when we go to the Lord in prayer. And so perhaps when Daniel went to the Lord in prayer, his heart filled with thanksgiving, even though he may have been anxious, he was recalling the times of his youth when he was in the king's court and he denied the food from the king's table so that he would not be defiled. Perhaps he's being reminded and thankful for how the Lord sustained him through those early years as an exile. Perhaps he's, he's going back and he's remembering and, and being filled with thanksgiving once more as, as, as he realizes that it was God the one, that God was the one that helped him interpret these dreams and give wise counsel to the king. Perhaps he's going back and remembering and how God even saved his friends as they were in the fiery furnace. Perhaps he's going back and remembering being filled with thanksgiving that, that even when the mysterious writings on the wall was there, That God allowed Daniel to interpret these things. Perhaps God is reminding Daniel at this moment too that he is there now. Lion's den, Daniel? Fear not. Daniel, filled with thanksgiving, goes to the Lord in prayer. Goes to the Lord in prayer. The den was filled with lions, but his heart was filled with thanksgiving. I think this instructs us to some degree When we are afraid, when we are unsure, when we are anxious. That going to the Lord with hearts reminded of who he is and his faithfulness, with hearts of thanksgiving, secures us once more. So God saved Daniel. Daniel's adversaries suffered at the hands of their own devised plans. And ultimately, the last point, Darius praises the Lord. Again, one thing we wanted to stress through our series in the book of Daniel is that Daniel himself is not the main character. The kings of Babylon are not the main character. But the main character of the book of Daniel is God. And all the things in the book of Daniel points to God and ultimately through Christ. And after Daniel is brought out with no harm, we see once more another king coming to the realization that there is a greater king above him, the king of heaven. And in verses 26 to 27, this is what King Darius says. I make a decree that all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So we see here that even the story about Daniel and the lion's den, about King Darius, points to Jesus. We said in the beginning that Darius' desire was to be the one mediator for all the people, to all the gods, but we see Jesus is the one true mediator to the one true God. That Jesus is the one by which the veil was torn and we have full access to in trust and in prayer and intimacy with God. We see so many parallels of how Darius and Pontius Pilate and Daniel and Jesus and the tomb and the den overlap. We see that even Pilate himself was not sure on what to do and and even what he did, he did reluctantly. We see that there was no fault in Jesus that anyone could find, but the laws of the Jews demanded such and such. And we see that as Daniel went into the lion's den, the Lord sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions and provide protection for Daniel. Yet we see in Jesus, he first endured death, real death, so that you and I would only cross the shadow of it. And then, and only then, was he raised up and the mouth of the grave was shut. So that we know that through Jesus, God continually saves all those who belong to him. And that's what I want to leave on today, that God is the God who continually saves. That it wasn't just in the moment of our conversion, in that moment when we cried out in desperation that one time, but all throughout our days, 70, 80 years of our lives, that God is the one who continually saves us in Jesus. That he reminds us, as we go to him in prayer, of his faithfulness, of his promises, and his love for us. See, Jesus is, as they would say, the true and better Daniel. Who does not simply faithfully pray and ultimately trusts in his heavenly Father. But he's better in that he prays and intercedes for you and I as he sits at the right hand of God. Always interceding for us, as we're told. So friends, as we conclude the book of Daniel, as you study it in the future years to come, perhaps as you walk through it with your children, trying to get to bedtime, will you see Christ? Will you see God, the King of kings? God who is sovereign over everything in our lives, everything in your lives, no matter what happens, what power or authorities may be above you, that he is able to save, that he has a plan, And that in Jesus, there is someone always praying for you, interceding. That in Jesus, you have someone who's continually walking with you and saving you. Will you join with me in prayer? Father God, we thank you that through the past weeks, uh, we were able to really see how sovereign you are. Lord, we saw in so many ways through these six chapters in the book of Daniel how utterly scary and crazy the world can be, how often, Lord, we as sojourners or exiles, we who do not quite belong in this world for what we believe in Christ, Lord, as we see the possible persecutions and the ways that we rub up against or even go contrary to what the world's beliefs are, that you are God over everything, that you are God who is sovereign and in control, and we ask that when those times of persecutions or testing may come, that you would fill our hearts with thanksgiving, that our response to difficult times, to fear, to anxiety, to the unknown, would be thanksgiving. For Lord, we know when we are reminded of your faithfulness, when our hearts are filled with thankfulness, that we can bow our knees facing you, looking to the cross once more, knowing that in Christ, We have a God who continually delivers us, continually walks with us. So Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus.